Okay, I think I'll begin, everybody, anyone who's listening and anyone who listens in the future. Uh, this is Charlie, and this is the podcast, uh, To Hell and Back. And uh, this is the 27th of June and Wednesday, and I'm talking at 4 o'clock from Massachusetts, um, Eastern Standard Time. I will be on again next week, and it'll follow the topic from this week. I'm going to see where I get to with this. Um, today I want to talk, uh, you know, in talking about to Helen back, there's a skill that's just, you might say, another skill in the world of DBT out of a hundred plus skills. But there's something about this skill that makes it one of the ones that everyone remembers when they've gone through uh, skills training. And uh, sometimes that doesn't mean they know entirely what it meant or they entirely got everything about it. Um, but it's there's something very deep and core about it. I think of it as a skill that's uh, really um, pivotal. It, what do I mean? I, I mean it's at the center of our functioning, especially when it comes to things that are hard to cope with or hard to accept, hard to get out of. Um, and it plays many different roles in that, ranging from playing specific roles when you're suffering a great deal to being a skill that can play very important roles in reducing your suffering even before you get there and very important roles in helping you turn the corner towards solving some problem. So it's just a huge skill, and it can be looked at from many angles. There's been a lot of writing about it. There's a book about it uh, from years ago by Tara Brock called Radical Acceptance that I think is a good book. And Linehan's skills manual, um, this updated one, um, edition two, has much more in it about radical acceptance than the first one. Uh, lots of perspectives on it and specific steps of how to do it, which was kind of left out of the previous manual. So, 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 before I uh, started today, I, uh, I drove home from my office to my home where I do this, and I thought, let me see what's on my mind that I might need to apply acceptance to. And oh my God, it wasn't, it didn't seem like an unordinary day. But when I opened my mind for 45 minutes, probably half an hour actually to get getting home, um, first thing I noticed, I was walking to my car in the parking lot and five months ago I had hip surgery, hip replacement surgery, and it's still sore. When I walk, it, there's better days and worse days, and um, and I have ideas about what to do about it, and I've talked to the surgeon about it, and so on. But I just, you know, it's every step, every step I have to accept or not that I'm. Oh, this is still sore. Five months later, I didn't expect that, and uh, and it limits uh, the speed with which I can walk. Um, it limits uh, how quickly I can go up or down stairs. And it's just a pain. And it's just there all the time. 
Um, and sometimes, like I say, sometimes better, sometimes worse. And I, I can take many approaches to it, but it does come into my mind as soon as I let it come into my mind. It's just there. Then I was in the car and I had the radio on for a few minutes and I heard the latest news and heard that uh, one of the Supreme Court justices, Anthony Kennedy, is stepping down in July. And uh, I'm, I guess, among many people um, that were hoping that wouldn't happen uh, during this year, uh, before the midterm elections here and before, uh, while we still have this president, um, because... Uh, I just don't like many of the decisions he makes, and I'm just worried about now getting a more conservative Supreme Court justice. Uh, Anthony Kennedy, as I reminded myself, for instance, is more or less responsible for the fact that gay marriage is approved, is legal in our country. And uh, if he had not been there, someone more conservative uh, probably wouldn't be the case. And then I heard two Supreme Court decisions from today, about one about unions that could sort of be really a turning point towards the end of unions and workers' rights and uh, and, a, and another decision that had to do with abortion or anti-abortion that was in that was supportive of anti-abortion places. Um, and I just thought, damn. Um, and, uh, and then I still had on my mind what's going on all the time about the border of Mexico and what's happened with our immigration policy in the moment and the whole disaster that that's created. Um, so all of that's going on, and I get in my car and realize, oh, my God, my, I forgot. My car needs a taillight. I hope I don't get stopped somewhere. And uh, and my car's a mess. I keep thinking I'm going to neaten up my car, and yet I don't leave time for it. Um, and then when I got home, I noticed the mail is still in the mailbox, and I thought my wife would have brought it in because she was home quit earlier than me, but it's out there. And then I'm sort of grumbling in the back of my mind of why do I have to stop and walk out there and get the mail in the mailbox? Just unbelievable when I stop and realize how many things are, are just bombarding my brain. Um, and then I thought, well, what is it to apply radical acceptance to these things? Before I even talk to you more about what it is, you know, what it would be <clears throat> would be to fully take stock of these things, to fully let them into my consciousness, to fully let myself be aware, yes, each of these things is the case. These are each of these is facts. Some of these facts are actually include predictions or probabilities, but in my opinion, pretty high probabilities and concerns. But you know, some of them are 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 not necessarily quite facts. But still, um, there they are. And it's kind of like there's a function of the brain that or the mind, I'd say, that it has to do with triaging everything because there are so many inputs from outside and inside that you end up uh, triaging. And one part of that triaging is, you know, do I accept this? No, I don't accept that. No, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not going to go with that. I just I refuse. I refuse to go with that. Well, sometimes we refuse to go with things that actually are a fact. So there we are. That's going to create some some strain um other times say well all right i can accept that but i'm not going to do any more about it right now i'm just going to defer that so i think the brain the mind has this capacity to triage and sometimes does it quickly um in order to allow you to have some space to function and that includes triaging some things down the pathway of acceptance sometimes triaging things down a pathway of non-acceptance and um 
and we'll get into this a little bit more. And so it's just always going on. Um, and so I, I realized, you know, that this concept, this skill of radical acceptance is something that I'm talking about that helps you survive hell. And, not, and these circumstances I'm describing to you are not hell, as I think of hell. There are inconveniences. There are annoyances. There are, there are some degree of pain. There's emotional concern about some things. Um, none of them today, right now, are what I'd call hell. However, if you cultivate the skill of radical acceptance, it's applicable in lots of situations, ranging from every moment to the moments in your life when you're heading into uh, a great deal of distress or you're in it. Uh, and I, I want to read uh, just a little paragraph. It's one of my favorite paragraphs from Tara Brock's book, Radical Acceptance. Um, as she writes, many times especially when I've been caught up in tension or self-judgment, I have stopped and asked myself, what would it be like if I could accept life, accept this moment exactly as it is, regardless of which particular mental movie has been playing? Just the intention to accept my experience begins to deepen my attention and soften my heart. As I grow more intimate with the actual waves of experience moving through me, the running commentary in my mind releases its grip, and the tension in my body begins to dissolve. Each time I begin again, wakefully allowing life to be as it is, I experience that vivid sense of arriving, of re-entering the changing flow of experience. This letting be is the gateway to being filled with wonder and fully alive. I just want to add to this that I think of this, the more I've thought about this skill, and I've been teaching it specifically since about 1989, um, the more I think about this skill, um, the more mysterious it is to me uh, what a powerful and yet subtle role it plays. Like I found, for instance, and this is akin to what Tara Brock was just uh, saying in that paragraph, that as I let myself notice each of these things that was troubling me and just let them in and acknowledge to myself, yep, 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 that's true. Yep, that's, yeah, that is true. That is as it is. That just doing that... Even without, it didn't fix anything. It didn't change anything. But a little bit like what she wrote about, I felt freer. I felt lighter. Even though these things are heavily on my mind. And I think that if you use radical acceptance, there's a possibility that you can live with things that are very painful. And it helps you kind of lubricate your capacity to appreciate other things and even to see those things in a different light as something you might do something about or something you might uh, deliberately decide to accept, uh, whatever. So I just want to say, heading into all of this, it's a very important and mysterious skill. So I want to reduce some of the mystery about it as I talk to you. Uh, here's a metaphor in a way, going from Tara Brock's writing, 
this is going from the sublime to uh, the disgusting almost. Because let's say you haven't been in your basement. Let's say you have a basement in your house and you haven't been down there for a long time. You just store things there. And one day you open the door to the basement and you see that just on the other side of the door, there's a few rats clamoring to get out into the house and you rapidly shut the door. You don't want to deal with the rats. And now there you are. You have rats in your basement. For the moment, you have rats on your mind. But you don't want to have rats on your mind. You don't want to think about that whole thing. You have other things to do. Rats are unpleasant. If they're breeding down there, it's really unpleasant. And you want to go on living your kind of a rat-free life in your mind. You shut the door of the house. You shut the door of your mind. You shut the rats into the basement, and you go about your business. Now, I I would call that some version of non-acceptance, but it works. You can now live your life for a certain period of time. If you can do that, and if you can keep the door shut to your basement and to your mind without being preoccupied with rats, thank God another few days, a few weeks, maybe even months of living without rats on your mind. But there's this catch, of course, that's rather obvious. This sort of uh, mental rat-free zone that you've established by ignoring them is temporary. As anyone would know or predict, the rats are going to continue to multiply in the basement, and they're going to create a rat world down there. And for you, it's only a matter of time before the rat world is going to grow into your world. One way or another, there'll come a time when you can no longer ignore them. And that's uh, a prediction. It's a high probability. It's not for sure. Um, but that is what I would call a reality, a near fact uh, that you uh, apply either acceptance or non-acceptance to. Uh, in this case, of course, ignoring the reality is a temporary solution, and it establishes the conditions of a rat hell in your house. Um, in fact, the only real long-term solutions are going to be dependent on fully accepting that the rats are there thinking about that the rats are there, thinking about the implications, thinking about the causes, and all of that. And it doesn't mean that everybody would do the same thing about it. I mean, there may be some people, like the kind of people who have a zillion cats in their house, that just decide, no, I'm going to allow the rats to be there, I believe, in letting be. And uh, But you do it with full uh, awareness of acceptance. And, you know, that it's going to be a time-limited thing, but you have a different approach than is some person who brings in an exterminator or does something else. Um, now, I want to say something more about acceptance and non-acceptance. And it's, putting it a little different, this is not in uh, the, the skills manual, but this is one way I think about it. I think that when we triage uh, inconvenient, uncomfortable, painful, or even horrible things that enter into our minds. That um, this is an oversimplification, but that from the point of view of whether we accept or not, we kind of triage things down one of four pathways. There's a spectrum of four pathways that I think of. One and two of them are forms of acceptance, and two of them are forms of non-acceptance. So starting with the most radical form of non-acceptance, I'll call it radical non-acceptance, the other end of the spectrum for radical acceptance. 
And so what does that mean? Well, first of all, non-acceptance is going to be the choice to recognize that the rats are there. At least you momentarily recognize and acknowledge that. And in your mind, you know it might be significant. And in your mind, you know there's something to think about. But you just, you know, you just don't go there. You just choose in a way to ignore it. You try to forget it. You try to just move on with hope that the situation is somehow going to resolve itself. And that's non-acceptance. But radical non-acceptance is a more active, aggressive form of refusal, rejection of reality. It might be to decide that you didn't even see the rats. You're just going to forget entirely that they're there. And if somebody says they're there, you're going to say, no, that's not true. And you're going, and it might be that you decide that you're going to reinforce the door. You're going to add another door on the door. And you're going to search around the house and find every place that you could imagine that rats could get in from the basement to the rest of your house and plug it up and block it up and, and, and really make it impossible for the rats to get anywhere. And all of this makes it possible for you to absolutely eject the thought that there's a concern to be had. There's just no concern. It's like the person who just had a heart attack and they're in uh, cardiac care. And they're one of those people that just decides, I'm going to get on the floor here. It's I, I didn't have a heart attack today. I had it yesterday. And I'm going to do 50 push-ups. Or I'm going to leave my bed when they're not looking and I'm going to go run up and down the stairs. Because, God damn it, I didn't have a heart attack. Or if I did, it was nothing. They're making a big deal out of nothing. To me, that would be radical non-acceptance. It's aggressive non-acceptance. And that actually, that group of people, because there have been studies on this in cardiac care units, um, that uh, those people don't do well, as you might imagine. There's two groups that don't do well, actually. That group and the group that is so frightened that they just lie still in their bed and they don't do any kind of rehab thing. They just lie there because they're waiting for their next heart attack. And lo and behold, they're also running into trouble. And I wouldn't call that uh, radical acceptance, as we'll get to. Um, now, there's the path. If you go down the path of acceptance, so that's a step up, you might say, from the path of non-acceptance. And acceptance means that you recognize, yes, there are rats in the basement. Yes, I'm thinking about that. Yes, I know this is a problem. I'm going to let this run around in my mind. And uh, and you actually make some efforts to think about what to do, but they don't actually turn into effective responses. It's kind of like you've accepted with your mind, but not with your whole being, not with your actions. And you're able to just kind of contain this with accepting it in your mind, but putting it off at the same time. In other words, it is possible to accept something intellectually accept something cognitively, um, but not accept it in the big way. I mean, I had this happen. I've mentioned this scenario once before in one of the other podcasts, but, you know, God knows where out of, there's now, this is the 23rd one, but um, it's when one of my sons uh, who really didn't like doing homework and wasn't good at getting himself to do homework, um, and I used to be his, uh, as I look back on it now, I used to think of it, I was his homework helper, but I was actually his homework harasser. 
And I would give him a hard time. I mean, I guess I didn't think of it that way. I learned later from him that he hated it and hated me for it during that time. But um, I accepted uh, that. And my wife would tell me, look, don't don't push him. Don't remind him of things. You know, he'll either do things or he won't do them. I couldn't quite accept that. But I could accept that it was a problem what I was doing. And I would say to myself, Charlie, don't just back off. Just don't do that. You know, it's okay. Things will be as they'll be. Things will unfold. And uh, But then my anxiety would kick in. And that acceptance was kind of like, you might say, just cognitively deep didn't go into the rest of me and I would next thing I knew I would be finding a different pathway to remind him about something about his homework and uh, it was how you know I hate even telling you all of this I was such a jerk but um, I was uh, I was doing that and I, I would say that I was in a state of acceptance acceptance that it was a problem uh, of mine that I kept doing that and then one, and then once I realized how much he was upset with me and angry and even used the word hated me uh, in telling me what it was like to have me talk to him about his homework at all by that point. He's like 16 years old. And I said, um, I, I struggled with it. And I thought, how am I going to change my behavior? This is so rooted in me. And it really was. I'm, I treat myself that way. Uh, have since I was a little boy and uh, it was hard to let go of that and lots was tied on to it but I woke up one morning and I I shifted from I in this perspective from acceptance to radical acceptance and what I mean by that is I woke up one morning and for some reason what formulated itself in my mind as I was struggling with this it was um, the phrase uh, you've been fired and I thought of him as having fired me and me as accepting my termination from the job, the job of being at all involved with his homework, um, except at any request of his and on his terms. And so when I woke up and I said it, I knew, I knew in a second it was different. You might call it in a different area of DBT that I knew I had arrived at wise mind and I knew I had arrived at radical acceptance because I knew that it made all the difference. And I knew with my entire being, my spirit, myself, my body, my mind, my soul, I was done. And I, and I just felt sad. I felt sad that I wasn't going to be doing that, that I was, I felt, oh no, I'm giving up on this. But I thought, you know, this is, this is absolutely necessary. My relationship with him is far more important than any one of these things that I'm doing. And I, and I told him that I'm done. And he didn't really believe it. But a month later, he, he told me tearfully that he was very grateful that I had stopped. He didn't believe I could. And so that was radical acceptance. And there's a big difference between the two. Um, I'll tell you just a, a story uh, from one of my favorite, from Marsha Linehan, when she taught, I don't think it's in her skills book, per se, but it's been in her teaching in the past, and it's exactly like this. A woman is in financial trouble uh, who's a client of hers, and she's accumulating bills and credit card debt. And when she gets bills, it's so painful 
humiliating and frightening for her to even look at the bills, that she just puts the bills in a drawer uh, that is uh, um, fills up with envelopes that haven't been opened. And at a certain point, you know, they're talking about this and talking about, you know, this can't go on forever, that she can't do this. She's practicing kind of passive non-acceptance. I think radical non-acceptance would have been she might have been taking those bills and burning them, eliminating the possibility that she'd ever pay it and really acting aggressively against reality, you might say, or finding a solution that was going to backfire. But um, she was, so she was kind of passively not accepting. And then Marcia tried to help her move towards accepting. And accepting would be opening the drawer, putting the things out on the dining room table, looking them over without opening them, but beginning to allow herself to entertain, okay, there's a lot of bills here, and I don't know how I'm going to pay them, and I'm frightened, and it elicits fear in me and shame in me when I look at them. So, you know, in light of our previous podcasts, many of which focused on exposure, this, you know, radical acceptance and radical acceptance here uh, overlap considerably with exposure because usually radical acceptance uh, exposes you to things you've been avoiding. Um, So she would expose herself to just looking at all of those. And then the next step would, then there's just kind of like a step-by-step progression between acceptance and radical acceptance where she begins to have her, in assignments, open one bill at a time. Look at the bill. Let herself feel what it's like to look at the bill. Think about that bill. Put it aside. Open another bill. And another, and another, and another. And maybe make a list of all the bills and what each of them is and how much it is. And by just beginning to do that, with having no change in her financial circumstances, the woman started to feel more like, maybe this is, maybe there's going to be something I can do about this. Maybe there can be a plan. As it turned out, lots of the envelopes were repeats of previous envelopes that just hadn't been paid yet. Say she kept getting bills for the same things. And so actually that cut down on what she thought was the number of bills she had. And looking at the bills, she realized some of them were not huge and actually might be payable. And the others, maybe she could come up with a payment plan and maybe she could do some bargaining. And so this is very commonly the way things move from uh, non-acceptance, things that seem horrible, things that can become financial hell, into um, doable uh, or possible. Um, that you might be able to solve something. And so that's what I meant at the beginning when I said you can pivot sometimes with radical acceptance uh, from what you can't do anything about, just starting to imagine how you're going to do something. In fact, I have a quote here. When I was reading in Tara Brock, she quoted um, Carl Rogers, um, his uh, one of his insights. He wrote, The curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. And uh, I'll just say about this for those people who know DBT, and even if you don't, I hope you can follow this. Radical acceptance is a very core skill, you might say, a central skill, a pivotal skill within the context of, the mo- of one of the four modules. 
of skills in DBT, and it's the SCOD module on how to tolerate distress. And it's one half of the module is how to accept reality in different ways, beginning with radical acceptance. And the other half is is various concrete techniques you can use to just tolerate the moment without making things worse. And there's about six of those. Um, and the way the skills manual is taught, the way it's set up, is to first teach what are called the crisis survival strategies, the concrete tools uh, for getting through a crisis without making it worse, and then the reality acceptance skills, beginning with radical acceptance. I have for years, and I continue now, to teach it the other way around. And I'll tell you why, because it's right here that this, I'm making this point right here, is that um, I've discovered in myself that I can't really very effectively use the crisis survival strategies to tolerate a terrible moment. I can't do it very well unless I have some degree of acceptance of reality. Because if you don't accept the reality of the bills, the reality of the rats in the basement, the reality of the growing pain in your hip that tells you you might have arthritis, the growing reality that every blood pressure that's taken shows that you have hypertension, but you're not acting on that. You're not paying attention to it. You're not accepting it. Um, that um, all of these, um, uh, if you have, if you're practicing non-acceptance, that is, you might say, a gigantic skill that covers a lot of territory itself. It's the skill of, I'm sorry, I don't accept that. Oh, you're telling me so-and-so died? I'm sorry, that's just not true. Oh, oh you think we're going to lose the last game the, of, the, of the playoffs? There's no way we're going to lose that. It's impossible. It's like you, you just shut out. You, know, you, you use non-acceptance. And if you use non-acceptance, it's a globally-sized skill that eclipses the use of skills that you're going to need if you begin to accept. Because the second you begin to accept some unpalatable reality, you get more emotions uh, other than just anger and resentment. You start to really might get flooded with sadness or fear or shame or something like that. Some of these emotions that come on um, they're, they're, when the dam breaks and you say, oh my God, so-and-so really is dead. Such-and-such such really did fail. I really did lose my job. I really do have this diagnosis that's terrible. And once you start to accept these things, emotions flood. And at that point, you need, that's when you need the crisis survival strategies the most. You need to be able to distract your mind for a little while so that you don't go crazy thinking about this terrible thing that's happening. And so I like to teach uh, radical acceptance, first of all, and then buttress it by teaching these several other reality acceptance skills that, that easily go along with it, and then shift over to the other. And I have people in the skills group talk about things that they can stand talking about, share things that have been painful, um, and and think together about uh, what kind of skills have they used. Um, and again and again, I learned that, you know, it's that moment when you accept, and especially if you radically accept something, 
uh, then you really are jumping in with both feet and all of yourself to accept something and you find a solution that's more radical one way or another. Okay. Let me take a breath. I'm hoping that as I talk, that uh, even though I'm filling all the airspace, that you're able to be thinking about things that for you are hard to accept. Um, there are undoubtedly things today that have been hard to accept. That there are some things right now that may be hard to accept. Because when you think about what you have to accept, there's several things. There's all these deep long-standing, unchangeable things that are hard to accept. The family you were born into, the mother or father you had, the siblings you had, the treatment you received at school, the failures you had in your childhood, the abuse that came to you physically, sexually, or, or emotionally, the invalidation of your environment that you suffered, the, um, the nature of your body, the, 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 size, the height, the weight, the shape, uh, the athleticism or not uh, in a growing up school where those things are a plus. Uh, a learning style that you have, a way that your brain works. Maybe you have a learning disability. Maybe you have dyslexia or dysgraphia or ADHD. Maybe you have and have trouble getting things done. Uh, all of these through no fault of your own, but there you are. And this very moment, all of these things still exist. And if you let your mind open up, some of them maybe you've resolved more than others. But the ones that aren't very resolved can still haunt you. They can come to you in dreams. They can come to you when you have open moments. They can come to you when you take a walk. And so there's, first of all, there's all these biological realities of who you are genetically and beyond. And all these environmental realities of what kind of contexts you've grown up in and what you have absorbed from those contexts and what you haven't absorbed from those contexts that you might have wished that you got. But all of those things are there. And those are big, deep things that sometimes occupy a person's uh, work, radical acceptance work, for a lifetime. And so they're, they're there. They don't, you don't end your life having resolved those. Maybe some of them you have. Um, and then there are all the things that are not as big. There are things that happened today, though some of you may have had very big things happen today. I don't mean to say that's not true, um, but I just mean there's another category of things that can be difficult to accept, but they aren't hell. They're like the things I talked about. They're like the things that it, in, you encounter during your day and that are inconvenient and that make you wait and that make you... Um, disagree with somebody or suffer through a meeting that you don't want to be in or have trouble because you're relating to a certain person whose personality rubs you the wrong way, but you don't know what to do about it. And so it continues to go on and you've neither accepted it nor non-accepted it quite. You're kind of hovering between acceptance and non-acceptance with that. And so there's all these things that are um, momentary things <clears throat> um, to deal with. Um, I think that's what uh, Tara Brock was getting at when she was talking about, you know, if you could um, 
uh, stop yourself at any given moment and ask yourself, you know, can I accept this moment? Can I accept life? Really, that's a complicated concept because can you accept in this moment something that you've never accepted before about some family member? You know, and so that might be hard, but can you accept just what's going on today? And if you ask yourself that, and you sort of take stock of what it is, just asking that, as she said, can begin to help you soften things a little bit. Say, okay, yeah, okay, I'll try. I'm going to try to accept that. Um, so, uh, yeah, just wanted to add that. I want those of you who have listened to the podcasts up to now, um, the last um, many weeks, really going back to the beginning because they've been interspersed between uh, conversations with people versus me just talking like today, that the first one, every one of these has involved radical acceptance without us necessarily talking about it. Because Domingo Marquez of Puerto Rico that I talked to first, that heard that a major hurricane was coming to his island, and he kept his eye on it. He kept his eye on how it was being forecast. And he realized that though he had been through a hurricane before, this sounded huge. And he took the day off and got his kid out of school. And he took his kid and they prepared the whole day. And he thought that'd be good learning for his kid as well as they just needed the whole day to anticipate what's going to come. They were coping ahead because he was actually had his eyes open about what was coming. And he still knew that it was going to be hell in some ways or other. But um, uh, And so radical acceptance before something arrives that's going to be very distressing, um, if you can radically accept in advance, you can then cope in advance. So it can be a very skillful thing to be uh, anticipating. Sort of like a patient of mine I was once working with many years ago who really, really, really missed her family. And they, she wanted to go to a certain family occasion. I forget which one it was. And she lived two hours away from her family. She hadn't seen them for years. But there had been uh, significant abuse towards her in the family. I mean, big time. And she just couldn't get herself to go. And now she had decided to go. And, we, and, I, and she decided, you know, with some consultation from me, uh, I, it would not have been my first advice at that point. But you know what? Um, she felt like she could do it, and it was very important to her. So we started imagining together, kind of rehearsing in our minds, what's it going to be like, and what's going to happen when you're alone with that family member, if you end up alone in a room with that family member that so seriously abused you. And, uh, and we started to plan about it, and she decided eventually to, to invite a friend to go with her. And the a friend had certain assignments about hanging out with her, keeping an eye on this and that, never letting her be alone with this person. And, uh, and the two of them leaving the family a couple times to go out and have coffee or something. And so, you know, she coped ahead and that she, cause she, she was able to radically accept, yes, I'm walking into a potential hurricane here myself. And so she got ready. Now, I'm sure many of you have known people that didn't get ready for things like that, didn't anticipate it, didn't think that much about it. I've done that myself. I've walked into situations where I didn't think how complicated it was going to be. And then I get there and think, oh, my God, I didn't imagine it was going to be like this. And so not it makes you not 
anticipate and not cope ahead. So it's another value of radical acceptance. Or we can go back to the conversations I had with Cedra Coons about the suicide of her sister. I mean, if you listen to those podcasts, what you hear, among other things, is that Cedar came from Santa Fe out to North Carolina where she had grown up, and she went to the funeral. She came out before that, but then she was there at the funeral. And and let's say she just didn't practice acceptance or radical acceptance, not of the death. That would be one thing. There's so many things to accept, but one would be to accept the loss of her sister, which was a challenge itself. But then there was the law. Then there was the anticip the things you could anticipate that are going to be left as a result of the sister's sudden passing in that way. Like there were financial issues and there were people on the sidelines waiting to exploit her, her sister's money, which would have taken it away from her two grown up disabled sons who she was going to make sure that that money was there for them if she passed away. And uh, that that wasn't going to happen, but Cedar took a, a very all-in, radical acceptance role of just jumping in and saying, this is my life today. This is what I'm doing. And she took legal moves, and she consulted people, and she talked to people, and she had difficult conversations, and she, God, what did she do? She also um, uh, started, in a way, to become, to take over the care of these two young men and to become more attached to them, who she hadn't known very well for a long time. Um, so, you know, r- radical acceptance there was that in the face of this disaster in her life, there were so many things to accept at once, and she needed to triage them herself and do one thing at a time, and also leave time for herself to practice mindfulness, to spend time with the people who were supportive of her, her whole social support system, and go back and forth between the two. So it was a really, if you want to listen to that, it was just a beautiful example. She makes it sound like it happened easily, but oh my God, it can go so badly, those things. And then for those of you who listened even more recently, what about those conversations I had with Natalia Garcia about the death of her healthy two-year-old boy in the middle of the night for mysterious reasons? Still unknown. But let's say she had shut out her emotional responses to that, if she could have and avoided all reminders of her son the way you would shut the door to the rats in the basement. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm not going to approach things. I'm not going to look at videos. I'm not going to look at pictures. I'm not going to talk to people about him. I'm, not, I'm going to change everything here at the house. We're going to move to a different house. I'm going to take a different pathway to work because it's the same way I used to take him to daycare. And I'm going to avoid seeing all those other people that are mothers of other children that I used to hang out with with my son. And all of that, and all of that would be understandable if somebody wanted to avoid all those things. And, and if, you, if someone told you that, say, I just can't take it, you'd say, I get it. I get it. Of course, that's hard to take. Um, saying, I can't take it, is itself actually probably not a fact. But it's a pretty convincing emotional statement at the time. But, you know, instead, what what she did, and this was also, as she emphasized, with the assistance of having, you know, a lot of knowledge, hands-on knowledge about trauma and loss and exposure, um, she deliberately jumped in with both feet 
and step by step exposed herself to different things. She radically accepted in that respect that her son was gone, gone. And if you don't radically accept that, it's such a powerful thing that it's going to keep just knocking at your door. I mean, you're not going to be able to seg- segment it off for too long without developing PTSD. And then, you know, that usually comes about because you've been shutting the door on all of those memories and all of those experiences. So we've had several people talk about these exact things. Just want to make the point that it's in every example. And with Melanie Harned, who I spoke to for three conversations, and I commend you to those conversations as uh um, because uh, they, if you don't know a lot about prolonged exposure treatment for trauma, you, you learn some about it there. Um, and she's very clear and gives examples and so on. So, but, what, but one of the things, one message I think stood out above all others, and it's the one I've been making, which is that if you are traumatized by a life incident or a series of life incidents, um, the path of non-acceptance the path of ignoring, denying, avoiding, the path of shutting down the thoughts and memories and suppressing emotional responses, these are um, the, the uh, conditions for the multiplication and intensification of those memories, those emotions, and it results in involuntary preoccupations with these things uh, through nightmares and flashbacks and intrusive memories, episodes of dissociation, hypervigilance, about uh, about things that, you know, might come your way that would be reminders, and a general sense of detachment and numbness and depression in life. So very big deal to, uh, to do that, um, to realize that. Now, look, I, I want to move into some concrete steps here. I think I've made the point again and again, the main points I wanted to make. I mean, I'll just say some uh, more specific things about radical acceptance. And those of you who really want to dig into this, I recommend Linehan's manual because some of this will overlap with that, but she goes over so many things in such a nice way. Um, but her definition in the manual is that radical acceptance means complete and total openness to the facts of reality as they are. In other words, accepting life as it is in this moment. And another statement she makes is, accept all the way with mind, heart, and body. Accept from the depths of the soul. And another thing, open yourself to fully experiencing reality as it is in this moment. So you get the picture. All of these overlap. And the idea is you don't just accept with your mind. That's acceptance. But radical acceptance means you recruit all of the rest of you and you are all in. That's a way I've been saying a couple things about last, about some of the people I conversed with. Um, so what does it mean that you ha- have openness to the facts of reality as they are? And that's a little tricky. I mean, there are things I already talked about, what you were born into, what happened during your childhood that you really can't not do. I mean, they're done. That's history now, and they, they are with you. And the facts of life that make up your present life, so those are facts also, ranging from really difficult circumstances that we all end up in at some points, in relationships, at work, in school, in the family. Um, we end up with 
other type of facts of life that are pain, chronic pain, acute pain, medical illness, physical discomfort, anxiety, worry, depression, um, annoying traits of other people that, uh, you know, are their traits, and it might be partly factual. There's a factual basis for it, and it might be that you build on that factual basis. Um, but that may include people who are really close to you. Um, it may be that you're having to cope with the reality of being more isolated in life than you wish you were. You don't have a friend, a close friend, a partner, a buddy, or whatever it is, a group, some community you belong to, but you really wish you had that, so that's a tough fact to contend with. Or you're actually more immersed than you wish you were. You're you're deeply immersed in relationships, and every day you're thinking, oh my God, I wish I had some free time. I wish I wasn't so caught up in relationships all the time. Um, maybe you're limited in resources that cause you pain, and, and limited in some of your own qualities that you wish were different. God knows, my teenage years were really difficult for various reasons, and, and one of them was that I wasn't as uh, physically athletic as I wanted to be, and I had put my whole dream life on that. And uh, it was quite a big deal to radically accept that I did not have the physicality that I would need to get to the NBA and play basketball there. And that really was a, this huge thing, too. And it took hmm, many, 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 many steps to uh, accept that. And I think you can even tell from my voice now, I get back to that topic and I still almost don't accept it. <laughs> In fact, when I got the hip surgery, I asked the surgeon, hey, do you think I'll be able to possibly try out for the Boston Celtics at this point. And uh, he said he was very uh, technical and engineering-like and said, I think there may be some other variables at play. <laughs> and that was true, like the fact that I was 68 years old. Um, you know, so there's all these facts we have to contend with. And then there's the other category, which is, I had mentioned before, the probabilities. We have to radically accept sometimes that it is not likely that X or Y or Z is going to happen that we wish would happen. And there may be other things that are going to happen that we wish weren't going to happen. And so there's kind of like, it's pretty easy to ignore probabilities because they aren't right in your face right now. But, you know, the probability of what would happen with the hurricane, for instance. Um, so in, in some, radical acceptance more technically means that we're completely and totally open to the unchangeable long-term facts of our realities, that we accept life as it is in this moment with all of its pain and inconveniences and limitations and so on, and that we accept the highly probable things that are likely to happen in our future, like death, for instance, is highly likely in our futures, as is paying taxes. Um, but death is such a big one, and uh, decline as you get older. Uh, loss of some functions. Um, so it's a lot to accept. Um, but we don't have to radically accept everything. I just want to make a point that Linehan makes in this, and I think it's important. Um, we don't have to accept uh, such things as thinking, I am a rotten person. I will never find love or friendship. I am a complete failure, and there is no hope of anything different. So-and-so is a complete jerk and a totally rotten human being. All of these are, most likely, judgments and not realities. And sometimes people treat judgments as if they are realities. 
you don't have to radically accept that you're a rotten person. On the other hand, you can radically accept that you have the thought that you're a rotten person. Um, and that could be a step, big step forward if you could radically accept that you have the thought, but you uh, weaken the link between the thought of it and the fact of it because it's not so much a fact as a thought. And if you think it's a fact and you think you need to radically accept it, and sometimes patients will say this, oh, I guess I just have to accept that I'm never going to have a relationship. No, you don't, but let's talk about that. I mean, you certainly have that thought. It's a very persistent thought. It has a life of its own, and it actually, if you stick with that thought, it might make it more likely that you won't. There's the only problem with keeping that thought. But, you know, let's talk about that thought. Um, so all of these things that might not be facts. Um, oh, gosh, I realize there's much more to say, but I want to jump to some concrete comments and this does come right out of Linehan's manual because she made such a valuable addition to her manual um, and so some of you don't have her manual because this podcast is for everybody it isn't for DBT therapists or patients per se or whatever a family but I just wanted to comment on these because there's several of them she has a, a section called practicing radical acceptance step by step so first what do you do you have to recognize that you're actually fighting something about reality, questioning something about reality. If you don't recognize that, you can't really go to the other steps of radically accepting. You have to realize there's something you're having trouble with. Acknowledging what you're not accepting is the first essential step to acceptance. And already, if you acknowledge there's something you're not accepting, you're already accepting that there's something that you're not accepting, which is the first step of actually accepting it. Then there is reminding yourself that um, this reality is, is just what it is, that it, that it is just exactly what it is, that it may be bad, it may be good, it may be neither good nor bad, but it is a reality, and that can be a helpful step, saying, okay, okay, I don't have this athletic skill. Okay, I don't have this person in my life anymore. I had to take a long time to radically accept that my sixth grade friend uh, died in a freak accident being electrocuted by because of an irrigation pipe joining an electric wire up above with a fence that he was leaning on in a bean field. It was just a disaster and um, I just wouldn't accept it. I just couldn't believe it. I wanted to know more about it. Um, why did this happen? Uh, why couldn't somebody knock him off that fence? Um, you know, why didn't you stop it? I mean, there was a way in which I just kept fighting it and fighting it. I was so upset about it. And then um, I had to recognize that there's something I'm having trouble accepting. And then I had to say to myself, you know, it happened. Charlie, it happened. And and another, another thing, which is the third step, which is consider, because this might help too, to the causes of the reality that you're having trouble accepting. So what caused this? Well, this happened because, I mean, it's almost like doing a chain analysis or in psychiatry when you're looking back at uh, the, the uh, something that resulted in a suicide and you look at all of the factors in an exhaustive way. It's called a root cause analysis. You want to see the causes because actually whatever happened, happened because it needed to happen because of everything that happened before. So if you want it not to happen again, you may have to know what those causes are so you can interrupt some of those causes. Um, but 
but one of the steps in accepting is accepting that this came about because of a lot of things that came about before. And there's almost no way that it couldn't have happened unless something earlier had been interrupted or changed. Um, yeah, I guess that's the whole point of the movie, Back to the Future. If you could go back and make something different, then you have a different outcome. Um, another step after considering the causes of reality is to practice accepting with your whole self. This is a really big deal, and it's something you can concretely do something about. You have to kind of practice letting go of what it is that you are enslaved to. You're enslaved to an idea that it shouldn't have happened. It isn't fair. It isn't right. I don't believe it. I refuse to accept it. Those things come along with a, a bodily tightening, tension, uh, even if you don't know it at the time, it usually does. And letting go of the thing you're clinging to that you wish wasn't happening also includes letting go of the tension in your body. So you actually, it opens up the door to doing some practices where you think about trying to accept what you're, what you're having trouble accepting. And at the same time, you're doing some kind of relaxation practice. You're tightening up your body and then relaxing it and just letting it relax and um, you start to relax it again, and then you're going to find it'll tighten up again, and the thoughts will come back, and then you try it again, and you practice mindfulness as a way to practice acceptance. There's lots of breathing exercises. And, uh, you know, breathing in. Uh, I am aware of the death of so-and-so. Breathing out, I'm aware of the suffering it causes in me. So you're just kind of like letting it all in. Breathing in, I'm aware of the suffering in me. Breathing out, I'm letting go some of the suffering. Breathing in, I'm aware of pain. Breathing out, I smile. Smile there meaning not happy, dappy smile, but breathe, it means letting go of attention. Uh, I'm letting it go. You can practice letting these things go in little periods of time and it can make a difference. You can practice another step opposite action, which is where you, you practice, um, you act in a way, you, you find that you can't get yourself to actually accept. You tell yourself, okay, I've got to accept this. But you know in your body and you know in your heart you're not accepting it. So another practice you can do besides the body is actually imagining that you have already accepted something. And act as if you've already accepted it. You, in other words, you let the rest of your self get ahead and act as if you are accepting things. And then that may help bring the rest of you along. And even if you, you might even say it to yourself, okay, it happened. I've got to accept this happened. And even that practice, saying it over and over again, may help you come, come to terms with it. There are other skills I'm going to talk about next week that are reality acceptance skills, including half smile, holding your hands in a position of what's called willing hands to go along with this and to help make acceptance with your body easier and go along with the acceptance you're trying to do in your mind. Another step is coping ahead, as I've talked about, with events that seem unacceptable. Um, I just have a minute left. There's about three or four more things, so I'm not going to rush them here. I'm going to enjoy the final minute and just sit back and uh, try to accept that I've done the best I can. 
because I try hard to get all these things across. And this is such a big skill that really it takes more time than this and discussion to get. But I'm just trying to get it out to a lot of people. So I will return next week uh, with a few more thoughts about radical acceptance and move on to uh, willingness, uh, turning the mind to acceptance, willing hands, uh, half smile, and uh, what's the other one? It's really accepting, uh, observing your thoughts, allowing thoughts to come and go um, in waves. Okay? So be well, everybody. Uh, I'll be on uh, next week, and uh, I hope this was useful to you. Bye-bye.